Welcome to this talk from the Canon Do Zen Meditation Center. Located in Mountain View, California, Canon Do's meditation practice is open to the public. For more information or to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at canondo.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. It's all the same. Um, it's good to see everyone here. And uh, I'm a little nervous. I haven't given a talk in a long, long time. And I, I remember that, you know, you're supposed to, um, oh, tell everybody how nervous you are. That's supposed to make you feel better or something. Um, and they say that maybe a joke would be good. So I looked up some jokes, but um, you're going to have to find it yourself. There's a good one uh, Harrison Ford told when he went on Dave Letterman. Whenever Dave, Le then whenever Harrison Ford went on Dave Letterman, he always told a joke, and it was always a good one. So when you saw him, you go, oh, great, there's going to be a joke. And I practiced it, and I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. But uh, you can look up. You can look up Harrison Ford's broccoli joke, okay? Mm -hmm. So you can do that and uh, laugh to yourselves. Tonight, I want to talk about um, December 8th, Buddha's Enlightenment Day. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow is December 8th, and it's Buddha's Enlightenment Day. And we're going to do something different at, um, at Canando. We're going to sit for two periods in the morning instead of just one. And we'll have Kinhin in between. And then we'll offer nine bows and uh, chant the Metta Sutta. I, uh, I'm happy we're doing this. I'm really, really happy that, uh, that we're doing this. In the past, we've had Rohatsu Sashins. Um, the Buddha world comes to a stop at this time of the year to honor, or maybe we should say celebrate, the, um, the uh, enlightenment of Buddha. So on um, December 7th, the night of December 7th, was when he went through um, the three watches. And then in... Um, on the next day, he sees the morning star. Um, pause for a moment and think to yourselves, what, what was Buddha's realization? What did he wake up to? Um, just take a second, take a minute or so. Well, I was asking myself the same question. And, you know, I've been around for a while, and but I've never sat down and studied it. And nobody's really said this is well, this happened on this day. So blah, blah, blah. And in my mind, I just started thinking, well, this is that everything changes. The truth, of, uh, the truth of impermanence, 
the truth of everything being connected to everything else, the truth of no permanent self, the truth that all beings have Buddha nature. So I, um, I decided that I would like to look it up. Now, some years ago, um, Misha gave me this wonderful book, All Path Wide Clouds. It's by Thich Nhat Hanh, and it's a fictionalized story of the Buddha. But it's Thich Nhat Hanh, so everything you need to know is here. Plus, what I think is maybe a little Thich Nhat Hanh. And I read the story today, and I thought I would share it with you. So the back, background is that Buddha is already sitting under the uh, the Buddha tree, not the Buddha tree, the Bodhi tree, and he's um, he's in deep concentration. He's left his friends behind. They um, they didn't like him too much because they were into really starving themselves, all these aesthetic practices. But um, he took food. And uh, so he separated them himself from them, and he was in deep concentration. And the story, according to Thich Nhat Hanh, goes like this. And uh, before, I, before I tell you the story, there's two characters in here that maybe you have not heard the names of. One is, um, is a little boy named Savasi. And his job is to tend to the buffaloes, and he cuts the buffalo grass, and he feeds the buffaloes. And then there's his sister, older, his older sister, and she's the one who takes the uh, the food to the Buddha. So the chapter here is chapter 18, in case you want to read it to yourselves. There's two people. There's a little boy named Savasti and his older sister, Named Su named named Sukata, and they appear at the end of the story. So he's in deep concentration. His practice of mindfulness has enabled him to build great powers of concentration, which he could now use to shine awareness on his mind and body. After deeply entering meditation, he began to discern the presence of countless other beings in his own body right in the present moment. He saw his own past lives, all the births and deaths. He saw the creation and destructions of thousands of worlds and thousands of stars. He felt all the joys and sorrow of every living being. He saw that every cell of his body contained all, all of heaven and earth and spanned the three times past present and future. He saw the hour of the, of the first watch of the night. So that's, that's his own experience, what he, what he sees in this great state of concentration. And the next, and the next watch is about birth and death. Watama entered even more deeply into meditation. He saw how countless worlds arose and fell were created and destroyed. He saw how countless beings passed through countless births and deaths. 
he saw that these births and deaths were but outward appearances and not true reality. So he sees all these births and deaths and he, um, he sees how they're created and he's destroyed. And he sees how countless beings pass through countless births and deaths. He saw, and this is a really important point, he saw that these births and deaths were but outward appearances and not true reality. And this is, this is the metaphor. Just as millions of waves rise and fall incessantly on the surface of the sea, while the sea itself is beyond birth and death. If the waves understood that they themselves were water, they would transcend birth and death and arrive at true inner peace, overcoming all fear. This realization enabled Bautama to transcend the net of birth and death, and he smiled. The story goes that then the, the, the weather got really terrible. At just that moment, thunder crashed and great bolts of lightning flashed across the sky as if to rip the heavens in two. Black clouds concealed the moon and stars. Rain poured down. Batama was soaking wet, but he did not budge. He continued his meditation. Now, before the third watch, um, I mean, as the third in the third watch, um, it, it has to do with with suffering and ignorance and mindfulness and the eightfold path and, and dualism and ignorance. So a lot happened after that big storm. Um, he saw that living beings suffer because they do not understand that they share one common ground with all beings. When we learn to calm our minds in order to look deeply at the true nature of things, we can arrive at full understanding, which dissolves every sorrow and anxiety and gives rise to acceptance and love. Understanding and love are one. Without understanding, there can be no love. Each person's disposition is a result of physical, emotional, and social conditions. When we understand this, we cannot hate even a person who behaves cruelly, but we can strive to help transform his physical, emotional, and social conditions. And I think this here is an excellent point. Understanding gives rise to compassion and love, which in turn gives rise to correct action. Uh, then he goes on to talk about mindfulness. Practicing mindfulness strengthens the <clears throat> to look deeply. And we look deeply into the heart of something, it will never it will reveal itself. This is the secret treasure of mindfulness. It leans on the realization of liberation and enlightenment. He then he then discusses the Eightfold Path. And the components are right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, 
right mindfulness and right concentration. And he called this the noble path. Looking deeply, the heart of all beings, Siddhartha retained insight into everyone's minds, no matter where they were, and he was able to hear everyone's cries and both suffering and joy. He attained the states of divine insight, divine hearing, ability to travel across all distances without moving. It was now the end of the third watch and there was no more thunder. The clouds rolled back to reveal bright moon and stars. Well, Otama felt as though a prison which had confined him with thousands of lifetimes had broken ignorance. Ignorance had been the jail keeper. Because of ignorance, his mind had been obscured, just like the moon and the stars hidden by the storm clouds. Cloud, clouded by endless waves of deluded thoughts, the mind has also divided reality into subject and object, self and others, existence and non-existence, birth and death, and from these discriminations arose wrong views, the prisons of feelings, cravings, graspings, and becomings. The uh, jailkeeper, we call ignorance, and the means to overcome ignorance were the eightfold path. Once the jailbreaker was gone, the jail would disappear and never be rebuilt again. The hermit Gautama, Siddhartha, smiled and whispered to himself, oh jailer, as in, oh ignorance, I see you now. Blow many, how many lifetimes have you confined me in the prison of birth and death? But now I see your face clearly. And from now on, you can build no more prisons around me. Looking up, Siddhartha saw the morning star appear on the horizon, twinkling like a huge diamond. He had seen the star so many times before while sitting under the people tree. But this morning, it was like seeing it for the first time. It was as dazzling as a jubilant smile of enlightenment. Siddhartha gazed at the stars and exclaimed of a deep compassion. And this is partly why we celebrate too. We're not celebrating just for Buddha. We're celebrating because all beings contain within themselves the seeds of enlightenment. And yet we don't, we drown in the ocean of birth and death for so many thousands of lifetimes. Um, in the morning, that morning, so, uh, uh, along came um, a little boy that helps him out. And uh, he grasps the author's hand and he said to him, this is the happiest day I have ever known. If you can bring all the children to come see me by the Pippola tree this afternoon, don't forget to bring your brothers and sisters. But first, go and cut the kusa grass you need to fill the, to feed the buffaloes. I like Thich Nhat Hanh always puts these little things about children and doing their chores. So um, they come and they have um, the lady that, or the sister that brings the treats, brought some special treats. And as they were enjoying their lunch, 
where Suhusaha made an announcement. Dear friends, today is the happiest day our teacher has ever known. He has discovered the great way. I feel this is also a very important day for me. Brothers and sisters, let us consider this a day of great tribulation for us all. We are here today to celebrate the enlightenment of our teacher. Respected teacher, the great path has been found. We know you cannot stay with us forever. Please teach us things you think we might be able to understand. Anybody would like to respond? Say there's some missing things in the story or things could be interpreted in different ways. Um, it's all yours. Um, Carolina? Yes. Um, I guess right at the very end, there's something there that I must have missed in the past, uh -huh. which is that at the moment of his enlightenment, Buddha was already a teacher with lots of students or disciples. Uh, I mean, that seems to be what the story was saying. And I didn't, didn't really realize that. I thought that the, the, the teaching and the disciples came later. Well, um, I think you're right. But that um, the, little, um, the little boy, um, he's known for taking the grass and, and making a cushion for the Buddha to sit on. And his sister uh, uh, would bring the Buddha food and he got to be friends with that family. So it wasn't like they were having, you know, like a big celebration. It was just an intimate thing. And then, um, then the, the Buddha was reluctant, the story goes. He was reluctant to teach because, um, you know, he thought this is really difficult. This is, this is difficult to teach um, these concepts. And um, so he took his time to uh, to go out and teach. Um, the first people, well, I, I think the first people he wanted to approach um, were some um, some teachers that he had studied with and then left, and he wanted to talk to them. But they had all they had both passed away, and then the people he talked to then. He wanted to talk to his friends, his friends who put him down for um, for eating. And um, the story goes that um, they were sitting down, and when they saw him approach, they, they realized something about it, and they all stood up. So this is a mixture of history and myth, and I enjoy a good story. Lee. Can't hear you. Thank yeah, you. you're muted. Okay. Thank you, Carolina, for sharing uh, this for us, and it's such an appropriate time to to do it. Uh, could you tell me what again? What was the title of the, this book that you were quoting from? It, it sounds like called. I don't know if you can Old see. Old path, white clouds. Yes, and it's Thich Nhat Khan. Okay. And it's page 119, and the, the it's a lot of little chapters. The morning star has arisen. You know, somebody was saying the other day that if there was one book she would take, if she, she could only take one book and she was going to be on the desert island, 
he would take um, Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. And yeah, that's a good choice. I'm thinking, you know, uh, this book is so sweet. And you could also share it with children. So we'll take this book along with you too. And it's it's divided in lovely little chapters, but it's the way, I mean, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to compare the two books. I'm not going to compare this with Suzuki Roshi. Um, this book is not, it's, um just has such a, I want to say, non-dualistic way about it. It's, it's just lovely. It's just yeah. perfect. So, um, but, um... Thank you for your talk, Carolina. It was very, very delightful. Thank you. Um, it looks like Peter has a question. Who? Peter. Peter. Who is Peter? Let me look for Peter. Hello, Carolina. I can't see you. Yes, Hi, Peter. Carolina. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, you just mentioned something that's been on my mind recently. You said that... Um, the Buddha was reluctant to teach because it's something that's so hard to teach about. And I've often heard people say that they're writing about something that can't be written about. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about Buddhist art recently. And um, I wonder if you have thoughts on if it's impossible if we can't, <laughs> talking about something that can't be talked about or writing about something that can't be written about, what, 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 why? Why are we doing it? Well, we say, you know, that it's the, don't, don't mistake the finger that points to the moon for the moon. You know, it's all attempts. It's all attempts. And I was wondering, I've always wondered this, was, you know, his first sermon is supposed to be on the Four Noble Truths. And I'm thinking, well, why don't he tell them that everything changes and tell them that everything's related to everything else, that we all have Buddha nature? But I can see why he would tell them that stuff. That is that's hard to hard to hard to grasp, hard to explain. Well, maybe in the Four Noble Truths, the truth of suffering, uh, the truth of um, the reason why we suffer, the end and the end of suffering and the path. The path is pretty straightforward, and maybe that's all you need. Maybe you don't need all these concepts. Thank you. You know, Carolina, in one of our chants, and I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly which one it is, it talks about this whole question about the words, the words, the words, the words. Mm -hmm. And says very succinctly, the meaning is not in the words, yet it, re it responds to the inquiring impulse. I've always thought that was a very beautiful passage. Carolina, it's Dan. Uh, hi, there. hi, Dan. Hi. Um, you know, depending on my own mind state at a given time, I, I hear different things and... Um, I know that's a sweet rendition, but I also, the, the thing that popped out to me was him having to go through thousands of lives to get ignorance off of his shoulders, you know? And I kind of feel that way sometimes, you know, the ignorance is just there and it's like, yeah. oh God, thousands of lives, you know? 
<laughs> just how it feels sometimes. <laughs> well, something is knowing these things academically. Another thing is is getting it, right? Big difference, big, big difference. You know, something that I got today, I was going to, I was going to have, have a discussion on what, what, what have you, what have, what have you waken up to lately? And before giving this talk, I, uh, uh, not only looking up Harrison Ford's jokes, but um, I just really got it that it didn't matter how this talk went. I, I wanted to give a good talk. I did the work, but you know. My friends and my family and Jason, they all still love me. So if I bomb, it's okay. I don't think I've ever felt if I bomb, it's okay. That's wonderful, you know? I mean, that feeling that I know that I'm loved. Wow. I get it. <laughs> to be this old to get it but hey you know so life's good happy buddha's enlightenment day <laughs> i hope you can come tomorrow <laughs> thank you very much so are there any yo phil philip thank you carolina i uh so appreciate the spirit of your talk. Uh, some, somehow the, often the Rohatsu period is uh, kind of grim for me in, in what it represents uh, in terms of session and, and uh, symbolizing maybe that long period of, uh, of practice that folks talk about. And uh, it's so appropriate and uh, so I'm thinking also about our, our teacher, Les, and uh, that there's, in his beautiful letter, he, he talked about there's this, this, this period of 50 or 60 years, but in the front right, right now, for me, was, was sadness about not being able to celebrate because of the painful aspects of of uh, of the uh, the ending of that of that period, and uh, somehow your your uh, framing of Buddhist uh, enlightenment, the celebration, and uh, bringing it into your your personal life, the celebrating being being loved. Uh, there's so much for us to celebrate in uh, in in lessons retirement and, and, and coming together to celebrate that. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I love that both of those things being brought into such a uh, appropriately, uh, I like to feel those, both of those things in, in, in uh, a celebratory glowing uh, light that you're, uh, 
your talk a lot. So thanks so much. Thank you. Well, hopefully we'll be able to see each other. Well, no, you're in Colorado. Hernan's <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> anyway, some of us will be able to see each other in person at the holiday party. Hernan. Hi, Carolina. How are you? Good. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, I mean, Buddha mentioned that uh, he has been, he has seen the the morning star many times, mm -hmm. but then he saw it, he mentioned it, it seemed like he saw it differently, mm -hmm. anew. So could you say something more about uh, Buddha's enlightenment or enlightenment in general, our practice and your experience with seeing things that have been common, but seeing them anew mm -hmm. in a different way? That's true. It's true. Thank you. This talk was brought to you by the Canon Do Zen Meditation Center in Mountain View, California. For more information or to support this podcast, go to canondo.org. That's K A N N O N D O dot O R G.